0: The break that we got, I really appreciated all those who spoke here. My dad, Denny Young, the missionaries who have spoken. But it's these things that I'm about to share with you today and in the next couple weeks have been burning in my heart and my soul for a while. And I'm excited to finally get to do that. I'm excited to see so many of you guys out there uh, today. And um, it's it's good to be here this morning in the presence of God and in the presence of his people. Thank you for being here uh, this morning. one of the things we do a lot these days is try to use um, outlines, templates, you can call them what they want. The technical term is mental scaffolding. Basically, we try to give you guys some stuff to be able to plug the information into, be able to see how it makes sense in a visual way. And uh, so we do a lot of series and not just so that we know we have something to talk about, but so you see how it all fits together in a really methodical way we're about to start one today and it's called um tabernacles and uh today is kind of the foundational idea of all of it and i'm really excited but here's where we need to start here's where we need to start i want to talk to you about how weird it is that our front door is at the back of our building have you ever noticed that <clears throat> it's kind of funny. Actually, those of us who were a bit part of designing this building, uh, there, there was actually some method to the madness in that there was going to be a road back there, I believe. And so that was going to be the front, like literally the thing that people drove by. That never happened. There are a couple other good reasons. The point today, though, is this. If you just kind of wandered in here, or if you got in here and you realized that this side of the building, which is the first one you see, doesn't have an entrance, and you just got irritated by that, or you just thought, what a stupid way to build a building. Why? You just got so distracted by that. You'd miss the fact that if you come or follow the signs or follow the directions of people who invited you, and you walk around, that's a really good entrance. Have you noticed it's a good entrance? It's glass, you can see through it. You can see all the friendly people in there. There's usually somebody at their door smiling and opening it for you, welcoming you there. If it's raining, there's a little bit of shelter. It's easy to turn around. It's a really good entrance, but you'd miss it if you just got irritated by where it is. And that's what we do a lot of times with God and the ideas that he gives to us. As we, For whatever reason, we have so much pride That we somehow really believe that we know better than he does. And if he says, here's where I draw the line. This is right. This is wrong. This is how I want you to invest your life. This is how I don't want you to invest your life. We we somehow have the arrogance that, that we really believe. I don't think he knows best. I think I do. And, and we miss what he's prepared for us. We miss the thing and, and all of that searching and questioning, we miss that. But God has made it so clear throughout his word, all the way through the Old and the New Testaments. He makes it so clear that everything comes through Jesus. Everything is focused. He has a very, very clear plan. There's patterns all the way through but he expects us to find them over the holidays. We talked a lot about. Um, we used Isaiah nine six as our template, or our outline, or our um, mental scaffolding. If you If you were, but here's the bottom line. This is what we know: is Jesus helps us see things from God's perspectives. In this next one that we're going to be doing, the tabernacles thing. This is This is what I hope that you see more than anything else. Jesus helps us see things from God's perspective. If we're going to talk about moral boundaries, which is where this is going to go, if we're going to talk about how to know what is right or wrong and how to live that way according to God's plan, I'm telling you right now, it will not make sense. It will not resonate. It will not even be possible unless we come at it the way God asks us to come at it. In the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle was a symbol of all of this stuff. And that's why we're going to use it as, as kind of an outline, a visual outline. But here's what I need you to know first of all from that is it had only one entrance. It was kind of a wall, curtain wall, but it was like a fence, call it what you want. It was a boundary around it. And the only way you could get in and start to approach God, start to come near to the presence of God, was if you came in through that one entrance. And the first thing that you had to see, first thing you passed, first thing you interacted with was the sin altar. And all of this, all of this was pointing to, we actually have a picture of the tabernacle, if we could show that. There's actually, yeah, there it is. That's, that's, what, that's a recreation of it in a desert. So it looks, looks a lot like that back in the day. But at first glance, you might think that the Old Testament and the New Testament are totally connected, You disconnected. You might see that and go, that is so weird. That is so different than how we do it today. But as we go through this, again, in the next couple weeks, we'll be looking at some specific things God says, do this, don't do this, and why, and how. But here's where we have to start today. Just like the tabernacle, you had to go through the one entrance. We've got to start with laying down our own pride. We've got to start by saying, whatever else we talk about, about what God is right about, what he's asking us to buy into, what he's asking us to reject, it We're going to buy into this idea. We're going to lay down our own pride. We're going to lay down our own right to judge God and his motives and whether he's right or wrong based on our own infinite wisdom. We're going to lay all that down and we're going to come in the way he said to come in. The tabernacle was, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 8, 5, it was a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern that I have shown you here on the mountain. And in Exodus 25 through 32 and several other passages as well, there's quite a bit in the first five books of the Bible that talk about this because these images are so powerful. They were then and they still are. But especially Exodus 25 through 32, if you want to read through that on your own, God gave Moses and Incredibly detailed plans for this. And it was a mobile worship center. The whole thing was made so they could pack it up and move it around. But wherever they were, wherever they set this thing up, that represented that God was present. God was tangibly in their midst. Wherever the tabernacle was set up, they could approach God. And and there was limits to that. And we'll talk more about that as we go. But the whole idea was that this is this is. God in your midst. God is moving here. You can wherever you are, wandering in the desert, on your way to a specific place that God wants you to see, you can reach him there. And all of that points to, to today to Jesus, who said himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except through him, and yet he's always, always accessible to us. The tabernacle represented God's presence in the midst of his people and so much more. And at the beginning of it was this altar. At the beginning was the sin altar. And nobody likes that word. I don't like that word. I don't like the idea that some of the things that, that I like to do, God just doesn't really like that much. I don't, I, I'm a human being, so I'm just telling you that I, I get that. I feel that. I'm, I'm with you on that. Not only that, the idea that he would be offended by some of the things I have done, some of the things I have thought, some of the things that I've said, the idea that he would, the, the pride inside of me still rages up every once in a while. How, are you serious? Or uh, on someone else's defense, how could God say that that person is wrong? How could God say that that thing is wrong? How could some, God be against something that that looks that makes so much sense to that person? Even if I don't, it makes sense to them. How could God possibly be against that? That, that sin, that pride is there. But guys, I got to tell you, this is where it starts. This is the beginning. When you approach God, it starts where you have to approach him through the entrance he's created and the first thing you pass is the sin altar the place where there's a chance for atonement where you acknowledge that this what he calls sin he's serious about it whatever that is whatever he says is wrong is wrong whatever he says is not acceptable is not acceptable and the only way past the entrance and into his presence to approach him closer is to actually be atoned. There has to be atonement for that. There has to be a price that is paid. And so as they would approach God in the tabernacle, there were three things they had to bring. One was their tithe. This was their 10%, the first fruits. They would bring their best stuff, uh, just a portion of it. God had given them everything, just like he gives to us, but they'd give that. They'd also give offerings. These were not all required, but the offerings were things they also wanted to give God above and beyond that tithe. And then they would bring these sacrifices. And I, I don't want to miss words. I don't mean to creep me out. I'm just telling you the truth. Those were animals, live animals. And literally what would happen is as they would approach, they'd hand off all the stuff they were bringing in and then they would lay their hands on the animal, a goat, a lamb, sometimes a cow, depending on what kind of sacrifice it was. And then in their presence, the priests would slaughter them right then, but drain their blood, pour out the blood, burn the animal. It was was a graphic, graphic, uh, torturous, almost barbaric seeming ceremony that showed that God was serious about sin. A price had to be paid. This was not something that he would just go, ah, yeah, I know that was wrong. I still love him. Something had to happen. Something dramatic had to happen to fix this problem. And thanks to Jesus, atonement has been paid once and for all. But here's what we miss. Here's what we miss. This pattern still applies to us today, just in a different way. Jesus has paid the atonement once and for all so we don't have to sacrifice animals. But would you read this passage from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2? Would you read this aloud with me and really pay attention to what this is saying? Because we all still can approach God. We can approach God in a brand new way because of Jesus. We can go way closer to God all the way. We can actually be in the presence of God, which was not available to the Israelites in those day. We can do that because of Jesus, but we still have to approach in that same way with we have to lay down our pride. We have to go in the way he said to come in. We have to acknowledge that our sin is sin and that it demands atonement and cleansing and that Jesus alone provides that. And yet there's also this. Let's read this together. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Because of all that he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing. And perfect because of Jesus we don't just have to just surrender and then just deal with it on the other side of our sin altar on the other side of his ultimate sacrifice there's a chance for us to not only be forgiven and cleansed but to actually be transformed and when we daily present ourselves to God, when we daily present ourselves as a living sacrifice in honor of the ultimate sacrifice he made, little by little there's this hope of actual transformation where eventually we actually see things from God's perspective. The things that never made sense before start to make sense. The things that used to offend us that he was offended by it are now offending us. The things that we used to justify we don't justify anymore, the things that we used used to not even see the point why does he want us to do that suddenly we realize how important they are and why he transforms us he changes us because we daily go through this not to make sacrifices our own that's been done but to give ourselves as a living sacrifice and say yes I I accept all of that and I I do trust that you're wiser than me make me like you help me see it your way and when we do that real change happens let's look a little bit more about all the deep symbolism in this so this is really really cool stuff that i think a lot of you probably know but probably a lot of you don't and i think it's really meaningful and we should all kind of know at least some of this first of all the fire in the sin altar was never allowed to go out whenever you'd walk by the tabernacle you could kind of peek in through the entrance and you'd see that fire burning 24 7 it was always burning It's kind of like when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and he left an angel at the entrance with a flaming sword where they could never, ever, ever get back in. It was kind of that. But there was also some new information here too. That was an altar that you could interact with. That was something you could approach God by doing this. There was an ongoing invitation. It wasn't just a reminder that you can't just approach God on your own terms, but it was an invitation to approach him on his terms. There were four corners, it was a square, there were four horns on either side. And that, that was, whenever you see that in scripture, anything that's four sided, four corners, it, it signals something about completeness. And especially like in Revelation chapter seven, when you have four angels and they're going to the four winds and the four corners of the earth, just in case, I wanna make sure we're not talking about a flat earth thing, okay? If there's any flat earthers here this morning, I, um, I, I love you and you're welcome here, but you're wrong. <laughs> and, and, the, and the Bible the Bible, doesn't, the Bible does not support that. That's not what it's talking about. It's kind of like if we said go every direction and we kind of go northeast, south, west, north, south, east, west. And we know that there's way more directions than that, but that's kind of a symbol. But what this is saying, these four horns, these four... Sides, the 444 four, four that you see in this thing means that this was always God's plan, that it was for the whole world, that he was offering complete salvation to every nation, that he was offering this welcome, this invitation to come to him on his terms, but to come to him, he was offering that to everyone everywhere. The altar itself was made out of acacia wood covered with bronze, Acacia wood is really interesting. I I love the imagery in this. For one thing, it was one of the few trees that was available to them as they were walking through the wilderness. Acacia trees grow in deserts and wildernesses. So this would be one of the few things they actually had access to as they're wandering through the wilderness, as they're going toward the promised land with direction. However, they're going somewhere in that time of their lives. There were also these trees. They were were there. They were available. I think that's really important that God told them to make the stuff out in the tabernacle out of things that he also had provided. That's how God does. And they were always overlaid with different kinds of metal. Those symbolize things too. Everything inside of the holy place and the most holy place was either gold or silver. By the way, a lot of, all of this stuff that I'm sharing today is in your insert, your bulletin insert, and you can either be keeping notes or you can find that online later with all the answers in it. You can, uh, Find all the scriptures I'm referencing, all that stuff. If you're a note taker, it's always in there. And I I hope that you use that as a tool to study more. Also, if you're in one of our new life groups, let me just say this. the, the, The questions are already published. They're out there. They're ready. They're ready to go. They all go with all this. But back to it. Gold represents royalty and purity. Gold represents that God is on a whole nother level than us. Silver... All throughout the scripture, it represents redemption, whether that's um, Joseph being sold uh, or or a purchase. Sometimes it's going a, a way you don't want it to go, but they sold Joseph and betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But the, the silver was also used to buy people out of slavery and set them free. So in the holy place and in the most holy place of the tabernacle, we'll talk about this much more in a couple of weeks. But in those in those places, everything was either solid silver or gold, or it was acacia wood covered in those things because everything in there represented redemption and God's purity and God's holiness. But all the stuff out in the courtyard, including the, the um, sin altar, was covered in bronze because bronze represents all throughout the scripture represents atonement and cleansing. It represents being set free from sin, being cleansed from sin, being healed, being transformed, being changed. Do you remember the story in uh, um, Numbers 21 where um, God sent poisonous snakes to punish his people and Moses had to put, make a little serpent Sculpture. How many, how many know? What, does this sound familiar? It's a weird story. It's, re, it's in, in that bulletin insert. You should look it up. Um, Numbers 21 verses 49. Short little story. Seems like this weird story. Why would that even be in there? But it's pretty important. Here's how I know why. In John chapter 3, the same passage of where John three sixteen and 17 is, just a couple of verse earlier, Jesus refers back to there. And Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness... Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all people unto me. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember what this serpent was made out of? Bronze. Guys, I'm telling you, the, the more you look, even some of the little minute, silly little details that it seems to us as you walk through the scriptures, you see that God had this plan, this idea that centers on Jesus and that it's so much bigger than just do this and do that. It's a transformation. It's, it's worldwide. All of these huge ideas that Jesus gave us to spread have been there all along. And so is such deep symbols all the way through. But what does this have to do with moral boundaries? This is where we're going to be going in the next couple of weeks. How, how does all this stuff, what, what does that have to do with it? It's a good question. Glad I asked it. I'm going to answer it. As the tabernacle was a mobile thing, once they finally got their own... Um, Once they'd already built um, Jerusalem as a new capital of the nation of Israel, they built a temple. The temple went through several incarnations because it kept getting destroyed and rebuilt. This is the steps outside of what remains of it today. This is what are known as the stairs of ascent. If you went to Jerusalem today, you'd stand here. These were there in the version of the temple that Jesus and his disciples would worship at. This is, this is the, they were there. They would walk these stairs as they approached to worship God. They would pray. They would sing psalms. There are specific psalms of ascent that they would sing, and they would pray, and they would recite to God. This was a, a part of that. But on the inside of the temple, every incarnation, every time it got rebuilt, on the inside of the temple, it was still that same pattern as the tabernacle. You still had to approach God by offering tithes and offerings and sacrifices. You still had to go past the base of cleansing there was still the holy place and the most holy place and and those were pretty much off limits and and again we'll get there all there but that same pattern was there all along and here's the one thing that Jesus did that was really amazing that I hope that we really start to grasp today. And this is, as we start to turn a corner and wrap up today, I hope that you guys get these ideas. Because if you can lock onto these and remember them in the next couple weeks, it's going to be kind of like the, the, the key or the code that unlocks the other stuff, the other moral boundaries we're going to wrestle with. But just inside of the most holy place was where the, or just outside of, it, I'm sorry, the entrance of the most holy place, just inside of the holy place, was a curtain in the tabernacle and in every version of the temple. And that curtain separated the priests who could go kind of into the presence of God. Kind, they could interact with a lot of the stuff, but they couldn't go into where the Ark of the Covenant was, they couldn't go into the actual physical presence of God. Read this passage with me. I hope this is really familiar to you as well, but this is Mark 15, verses 37 to 38. If you saw the bulletin insert last week, there was a typo there that said Mark 16. I apologize. There is no Mark 16, 37, 38. It doesn't exist. This is what I was talking about. I'm sorry about that, but this is Mark 15, 37, 38. Read it with me out loud if you would. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the sanctuary in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Hebrews 10.20 talks about this moment and what it means. Read this with me as well. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Because of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice, we can approach not just the sin altar and then survive And watch a few people, a few priests, a few kind of more holy people get closer and closer to God, kind of disappear for a little bit, come back out. Only one person, one time a year, actually go into the presence of God. We get so much more than that today. It's available to us, at least. Because of Jesus' ultimate atonement and ultimate cleansing, we have the possibility to enter into God's presence and keep on going and actually approach the throne of grace with confidence. Actually go into the presence of God confidently as his children. But this only happens when we start by laying down our pride. It only happens when we say, you make the rules, not me. You are the boss, not me. The things that you say are sin, okay, they're sin. And I reject them and I need you to not only forgive me and not punish me, but change me. I need you to transform me so that someday, somehow I will see these the way you see them so that I will interact with life and the good stuff you have designed for me and rejecting the bad stuff you have forbidden to me, that I will see it from the same perspective you do. I want to be like you. I want to be with you, and it's worth everything to me. One of my favorite places in Kingston is Our Town Coffee Shop, and I'm always grateful to whoever it is that anonymously puts money on my tab. Many, many times I go down there to, to buy coffee and it's already been paid for. Thank you, all of you. One, one family actually gave me a gift card to it so I know who they were. And, and it's basically just a little piece of paper. It was a, a treasure to me. I thought it was awesome. Took it down there, gave it to them. Here's the point that I want to make. It's kind of like the backdoor thing. What I actually got in the mail, even though it was a wonderful gift, was a piece of paper. It's not quite the same thing as coffee. You with me? To get the coffee, I I had everything I need. They'd paid for it. They had given me everything I needed to get a whole bunch of really good coffee. But to get it, to claim it, I have to go down to our town coffee shop. They're not going to deliver it. They didn't put coffee in the cart. I have to go down there. I have to go in that one open front door that they have, only on the days that they're open, not on the days that they're closed. I have to stand in line like everybody else. I don't have to pay for it because that's been paid for me. But I have to go there to claim it. This is how it is with us with Jesus. Now, he's paid the price. He's done everything that we could not do. And yet it's a daily offering of ourselves to him that is the foundation of any other wrestling we have with him, any other moral boundary issue that we're going to deal with, any other line that we want to question or draw, it's got to start there. It's got to start with acknowledging that he is that person. And here is the other even more beautiful, really cool idea. This is why this series is called Tabernacles instead of The Tabernacle. 1 Peter 2, 5. Please read this with me as well. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And what's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And what are these spiritual sacrifices that please God? Our bodies. Ourselves. Ourselves that daily offering in honor of the ultimate sacrifice he made. Read this one with me aloud too, if you would. 1 Corinthians six 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. And again, it's the same pattern. The tabernacle, the temple, it's the same picture. It's the same system. It's the same ideas. It's the same thing that all points to Jesus and all points to on the other side of Jesus' sacrifice, what he offers to us now. But don't miss this. When we approach God on his terms, when we take advantage of his sacrifice, what he paid, what he's offering to us. When we do that, when we cash that gift card in, when we go around to the back and come in the entrance, no matter whether that seems weird to us or not, whenever we do it his way, guess what? Today, because of Jesus, we become the tabernacles. We are the walking, movable worship centers. If we're doing this right, if we're doing this daily, if we're literally rejecting the sins that he says to reject and doing the things, focusing on the things, getting done the things that he wants us to get done, as we move around through life day to day as a group and as families and and as one great big individual, all of those ways, as we move around, the presence of God himself moves around because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. Everywhere we go, everywhere each one of us go, if we are daily sacrificing ourselves to Christ in this way, if we're daily submitting and saying, you run this thing, you run it, not me, what happens is everywhere we go, there's an entrance, there's a fire burning, there's an invitation to meet God on his terms. Everywhere we go is the power and the presence of God himself. And that happens even more when we meet together, but it happens even when we're alone because it's the spirit of God in us. Do you see the beauty of that? In the next couple of weeks, as we go through some things, we're gonna keep using these same images. We're gonna walk through some deeper symbolism and all that, but we're also gonna actually talk about some actual rules and some things that God really cares about that maybe we don't get or understand why. This is, my, this is what I beg you. This is what I challenge you with this morning. Start here or restart here. Whatever else you think, it's not as cool as what God thinks. Whatever else I believe or what I've figured out for myself, it's not going to compete with whatever God has figured out and planned since before time began. We have to start on every single issue, every single level, every single thing he asks of us. We have to start where he says to start. We have to go the way he he has indicated. We have to go through Christ. We have to do that or we miss the whole thing. We just waste our time wandering around in the parking lot, whining about why the door's somewhere we didn't think the doors should be. We spend our whole life doing that kind of nonsense instead of actually getting something done that matters and lasts for all eternity. And that's what he wants for us. So this morning, this is my invitation to you. If you have never surrendered to God in the first place, this is your chance. Confess Jesus as your Lord. Confess your sins as sins. Be baptized in his name. Give the whole rest of your life to him. Let this be the first day of all the days, the rest of your days where you give him everything and you become a mobile tabernacle that's changing the world. And and you become one of the living stones that's building his big temple, his big kingdom that he's designed for us and ask us to build. If you've been running from God, if you'd like to join our community, whatever it is, if you just need prayer, if you would come this morning, we will pray with you and do that. If you just need to stay where you're at, I understand that. You don't have to come forward here. But a lot of people call this front area here the, the altar. Have you ever heard people call that? We call it the communion table. We call it a bunch of different things here. Some people call this a stage. But one of the reasons that we have this space is so that it kind of functions as an altar. If you need to come and talk to somebody, if you need to come and you need to interact in some way, you need to make a decision public, you, you, you need someone to baptize you, you can't baptize yourself. Are you with me? This is the altar this is the entrance. It's, a, it's not the only way to God. Jesus is the only way to God. But this is a great way to interact with him this morning. And as you stand and saying, would you make whatever decision you need to make?